Amen. You can be seated. Have we got my mic on? Can you hear me okay? All right. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Good morning, friends. I am... uh, I'm blessed to get to preach God's Word today, to preach this particular message, even though I'll be doing it in the imperfections uh, of my personality. May God bless you with it, and I believe that God will use it greatly. Although, I have to warn you, uh, there will be toes stepped on this morning. Just go ahead, get ready, ready to receive it. I pray not only are toes stepped on, I pray that hearts are changed, that conviction will happen, that that God and and His Spirit will join us this morning. And I want you to know that everything that I say this morning, I'm saying from love because I want us, I want you to be more. I want you to be who you were born again to be. So having said that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we ask for your mercy this morning. We ask that you would set yourself apart in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds that are so prone to wander, that are so attracted to sin and to worldliness. God, that this morning you would break through. That you would give us a glimpse of your glory we would see you as you are. That we would marvel in your perfection. That we would desire with all of our hearts to be with you. And that we would have the confidence and the faith to know this morning that you are with us. You are the God who has made yourself known. You're the God who sent your Son to this earth to die on a cross for those who were his enemies. You're the God that defeated death and raised your son from the grave. And you didn't stop there, but you sent your spirit to live among us, to be God with us. And we know that you are here this morning. But God, we pray for your power to move in us, not because we are worthy, but because you are worthy. In Christ's name, amen. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at the golden rule again this morning. Some things that we didn't get to last week. This is part two. Such a big thing like the golden rule, such a well-known law that is known in some way, shape, or form throughout the world and throughout many different religions, though we talked about it last week, the things that set the, the golden rule of Jesus completely apart. It's just not even the same from the things that the world, other world religions espouse. This morning we're going to look at the golden rule gets to work. I'll explain that title in just a minute. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount told the disciples and those who were listening, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, Do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Last week we talked about the differences of 
the golden rule of Jesus compared to the golden rule of other religions, and we really set it apart as something that's entirely different, something that's not just empty, an empty rule, but something that has a lot of power and life to it. And one of those main points that, that, we, that we spoke about was that the golden rule is grounded in the gospel. The gospel is the foundation of the golden rule. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God sent His Son Jesus to come to earth to save sinners who had rebelled against Him by putting His own Son on a cross, His own perfect Son on a cross in the place of sinners to die as a substitute for them and bear the penalty of their sin in His own body so that God could be both just and punish the sin that deserves to be punished and forgiving, allowing us sinners to go free. Jesus is the answer to the great question of how God can forgive sin, how He can let it go, and yet still be just and be one who punishes sin. If we sacrifice either of those two things, He is not God, or He is not good. And yet Jesus died in our place as a substitute. It was a substitute atonement for our sin. Jesus was not just our example of love. He actually loved us on the cross. He died in our place. And that good news, that gospel, is for anyone who would repent of their sin and trust in Jesus. It is not religion. It is grace. It is relationship. It is not you reaching up to God. It is God reaching down to you. And so we talked about that last week, that this golden rule, because it is a rule about how to live, it must be grounded, and it is grounded in the Gospel. Over the last uh, few weeks, my kids and I have been watching, and, and my wife, we've been watching a house that's going up uh, close to, to our, ha our home. And it's just really fascinating. And my, my children enjoy watching it, and and I'm very interested in, in things like that. I don't have a, a construction background, but I, I, I love building things and learning new things. And, and so to watch this house go up is really fascinating. To see how these men that know what they're doing get out there and build this house. <clears throat> and one of the first things that you know and, and, and one of the, just the basic principles of building anything is you've got to have a right foundation. Amen? You're going to build a family. You're going to build a marriage. You've got to have the right foundation. That's why you don't date non-Christians. It's not the right foundation. And of course, everybody in this town says they're a Christian. So it's not just whether they're a Christian, it's whether they know God and love God and are living for God. And there's more to that, but I won't get into that sermon. <clears throat> but there's a foundation, and as I explained to the kids, I said, you've got to have the right foundation. See, they're pouring this slab of concrete, and if they don't get this slab right, if it's crooked, or it's broken, or it's, or it's off, or it's thin, or something's off with it, they don't get the mixture of concrete right, if there's any problem, any fault in that foundation, then the house can go wrong. If, it's, if the foundation is crooked, your whole house is going to be crooked. The Gospel of Jesus is the foundation of everything that we believe. And it's behind everything that we live out. 
And we forget that sometimes. Now, if we're building the house, there are a lot of great pillars. They're important pillars. One young man came to Jesus, or one scribe, there's a couple of counts of it, and he said, what's the, what's the greatest law? And He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are called the, the great commandments, with loving God being the, the first among those two. Those are two great pillars. Okay? Maybe you could imagine those as the corner of your house with the gospel as the foundation. And maybe here on the other side, the other two posts, maybe that's the Great Commission. The Great Commission has a lot in it, but basically you can break it down into to two different areas, making disciples and maturing disciples. If all you're doing is maturing disciples and having Bible studies and you're not reaching new people, you're not fulfilling the Great Commission. If all you're doing is doing evangelism and you're trying to win people but you never see them on to maturity you never focus on sanctification you never focus on holiness you never try to have a church that holds one another accountable and has authentic community you're just trying to get people in the seats you're not fulfilling the great commission it's making disciples and maturing disciples to teach them all of the things that jesus taught his disciples to teach them to observe those things and maybe those are the other two pillars of your house and certainly there's overlap there because as we fulfill the Great Commission, we're loving God and we're loving others. And if we're loving God and loving others, then we'll be fulfilling, fulfilling the Great Commission. But all that to say, they're just rules and religion if the gospel isn't our foundation. If we haven't been freed by the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross, it doesn't matter which rules we follow or how right they are, we won't be able to keep them in a way that pleases God or accomplishes His purposes. <clears throat> has to be grounded in the Gospel. If you don't know Jesus, but you try to be a good person, you try to do God's rules, you're merely going to heap sin upon sin and judgment upon judgment from God because your righteousness is garbage to Him. It's not pure. It's unclean. If you know Jesus and He is your Savior, but you try living out God's rules apart from a continual and conscious dependence on Jesus and His Gospel and the life that He gives, you will have great despair. You will have dissatisfaction. You will have failure. You will have a feeling of re-enslavement to religion. As Paul calls them the elementary principles of this world. If you've got your bulletin, look in your, look in your bulletin. In your bulletin, it lists out our seven core values at Wyatt Baptist Church. These are basically boiled down principles of our doctrinal statement, but they're also put in language that, that reflects what we're passionate about, what we're all about. These are things that as a member of this church, you need to know. I may start quizzing people. It's funny how every, sing, every other organization in this town can require things, but I can't require things as a pastor of this church. We don't want to use the word requirement or expectation. But everything else is required. What would happen if I required people to go to church camp? Oh man, people would want to skewer me. Oh, but everything else is required. Every other organization has rules. Listen, friends, I'm not going to quiz you. I'm just joking. But you need to know these. These are, these are what our church voted on years ago. 
These are our core values. There's seven of them. They're easy. And if you know these, this will also be a great guide for your life. But look at number two. Centrality of the gospel of Jesus. We didn't use the word foundation there, but that's what we mean. The gospel is not something that you ever get over. It's something you carry with you every day. It's what the Christian gets up in the morning and thinks of. It's what he goes to bed at night dwelling on. It's what gets him through the hard times. It's what gives him strength in the difficult times. The gospel is central to who we are. It is our identity. It's not something you check off of your list. It's not just a prayer that you pray to get a ticket to heaven and then you move on to keeping a bunch of rules for religiousness' sake. No, my friends, it's about becoming who you were born again to be. And it's about the gospel being central. Why did you sing this morning with a cold mind and a cold heart in a routine way that you've done for weeks? Maybe months or years. It's because you did not get up this morning and preach the gospel of Jesus to yourself and believe it. I find it hard to believe that anybody that gets up in the morning and preaches the gospel of Jesus to themselves and believes it won't go through their day having deep, deep joy. Amen? Does anybody agree with me about that? How can you not? Are you preaching it to yourself and believing it? Is it central in your life? We never leave the gospel. And this has to be kept in mind when it comes to the golden rule. Otherwise, we end up with dead religion. It's such a big rule. It encompasses all of our lives. But if you go at it without the foundation of the gospel, if the gospel is not intimately woven into it and connected to it, you'll end up with dead religion. Despairing, dissatisfying religion. But if the gospel is connected to it, it's a life-giving way to live your life. It's glorifying to God. It's world-changing. The golden rule does not stand by itself as a summary of the Christian life and message, though some would say that it is. It is founded and grounded on the new life and freedom that Jesus gives us. That's why it's truly different from the religions of the world. We spoke of why that's glorifying to Christ last week, that He died on that cross so that we could be free from our sin and we could live out this golden rule toward others. He did what no one else could do and what no one else would do to free us so that we could live in this way. And the Bible says that if we do not know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, if we've not asked Him for forgiveness, if we've not humbled ourselves to His Lordship, then we are enslaved to sin. And the judgment upon us because of our sin. The question is, are you a free person today? <clears throat> are you free from sin? Are you living as a free person? Have you been saved? Well, what are you saved from? Are you saved from lying? Are you saved from stealing? Are you saved from judgment, judgmentalism? Are you saved from hopelessness? Are you saved from anxiety? Jesus died to save you. What did He save you from? He saves us from hell and everything that would come against us. 
And so we look at the golden rule today knowing that it's grounded by the gospel, but also we talked about that it's, it's a rule that is guided by the Bible. Jesus said this is the, the summary of the law and the prophets. He points back to the Bible. And this is the difference between the golden rule of Jesus and the golden rule of others. It's not relative to how you think or feel, even though that's what some people would get out of that. He's drawing it back to an assumption that you're right with the Bible. And we talked about last week, just to kind of recap those things, we talked about how, how the golden rule, grounded by the gospel and guided by the Bible, helps us to react to bad treatment with forgiveness. And Hamata shared his powerful story with us. We, we looked at how the Bible helps us to be proactive. Uh, the Bible helps us to love and to show hospitality and service and, and giving. We looked at that principle of love. And by the way, I want, I, want to, I want to show you this. The golden rule and the second great commandment, the one that says, love your neighbor as yourself, and the one says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, these are helpful to look at together. Okay? They're really helpful to look at together. Because some people will look at, at that great commandment and they'll say, well, I love everybody. I'm just a loving person. I love everybody. And so that, 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 emphasizes, um, that emphasizes our motive. Our motive. Our motive is love. But the golden rule emphasizes our method. The method is action. Do unto others. It's not just about how you feel about somebody. Are you actually loving them? And so we need these two things together. These two things inform each other. We love our neighbor as ourselves by doing unto them as we would have them do to us. How is the golden rule, how, the golden, how this golden rule living affects your work, your job, and your career is what we're going to talk about this morning. So all of that to say, what I want to look at this morning is a big area of most of our lives, and that's called job, or work, or career, or vocation. And I want to look at that. How does this golden rule affect our work? Most of us in this room spend a lot of time during our week working. And even if you don't work, there's still application here for you. So if you're a child, okay, you may not get paid, or maybe you do get paid for doing work for your parents, but that's your work, okay? Or maybe you mow somebody's yard or, or do something or you babysit, okay? You do work, all right? And even you can carry the principles outside of your work. If you're retired, there's all kinds of principles in here for you as well, okay? The work can, uh, workplace can be a stressful environment. If I ask for a show of hands, which I'm not going to do, I would probably get most hands in this room raised if I asked you, is your work sometimes stressful or many times stressful or all the time stressful, all right? Work, though, is a good thing. God created man to work. Genesis 2.5, God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That was before the fall. God created us to work. Work in itself is not a bad thing. But sin came into the world through Adam, through Eve, and cursed work, and now work is hard. And we have sin in each one of us. We're sinners working with sinners, and that makes work hard. But work in itself is a good thing. The New Testament urges us to be people who work. 2 Thessalonians 3 Verse 10 through 12, For even when we were with you, Paul says, we would give you this command. If anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. <clears throat> if anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. It's a great welfare, welfare verse. If they're willing to work, can't work, okay. 
If they won't work, that's a problem. It's a problem with any of us too if we won't work. Laziness is a human sin. Procrastination is a human sin. it's It's not confined to one particular kind of people who live in a particular area of town. It's all of us. It's a sin that all of us deal with. Be willing to work. For we hear, Paul says, that some among you walk in idleness. Anybody can be idle. They're not busy at work. They're busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And so we see here that work is how we provide for our basic necessities. Now sometimes it's hard to find good work. It's hard to find a job. That's part of the curse in this world. Sometimes you ought to be thankful if you've got a job because there's a lot of people that don't have a job. You might complain all day about your job. At least you've got one. A lot of people have felt the hurt and the pain and the anxiety of not having a job, of not having that blessing. But Paul's speaking of the idle man, the lazy man, the person that doesn't want to work, the person that doesn't want to follow the rules and and is constantly losing jobs. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 11 and 12. Aspire to live a quiet life, attend to your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. The way we work in large part governs our reputations with others, particularly outsiders. See that God wants us to be independent in this area of work. He doesn't want us to create burdens on others to provide for our needs. Okay? Now don't take that to an extreme. There are times in your life where you need people to help you. And part of being a community is welcoming that help in. It's okay. Paul's not talking there. He's not talking in such an extreme. An extreme. And so work is a good thing. It's a blessing to us. Work is also an opportunity that God gives us in order to bless others. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Look at that change right there. The gospel changes people. Paul is saying that there are thieves who go from stealing to working, and not only to working, here's what it says, working with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. He goes from somebody that steals to somebody that shares. That's the power of God. No social program is going to create that. I'm sorry. And I'm, I'm, I'm all about doing those things if they're helpful. But it's a heart thing. And only Jesus can change our hearts. And so it's about blessing others. God gives us work so that we can bless others. And that's what brings us to the golden rule. I'm going to give you five things real quick. Five rules about the golden rule that apply to your job. Number one, don't overrule the golden rule at work. Don't allow cultural norms or principles or cliches or worldly wisdom to overrule Jesus' golden rule, grounded by the gospel, guided by the Bible, when you're at work. Let me give you one I hear all the time. Well, that's just business. Well, that's not in the Bible. All right? <clears throat> that's just business. All of your business dealings, in some way, shape, or form, involve people. And yes, sometimes that phrase is used to communicate just that a business deal is fair, but I've also seen it used in a negative way, which is callous towards people made in the image of God. That it's all about the transaction. Every transaction involves people. And I'm not saying that everybody you work with 
or transact with or contract with is going to be honest. We'll get to that point next. Or that they're going to treat you fair. But you need to treat people biblically. It's not an encouragement to allow people to take advantage of you. But then again, what does the Bible talk about when it talks about going the extra mile? Remember that passage? What does it talk about turning the other cheek? What does it talk about when someone asks for your cloak, give them your tunic too? We should not let the norms of how worldly, and notice I didn't say non-Christian, because some Christians, in name at least, can be very worldly. Don't allow the norms of how worldly men and women work side by side to you. Don't let how they work and their standards affect how you treat others at work. Just a few weeks ago, Vice President Pence was ridiculed because he applied what many call the Billy Graham rule to the way he worked. And that is that he would not eat or be alone with a member of the opposite sex while he was at work. And people just skewered him over that. But he did it out of love for God and love for his wife and a distrust of himself. Seems pretty biblical. Seems kind of like the golden rule. He chose to have biblical principles in his work and to treat others in a biblical way. So the lesson here, friends, is be skeptical of your work culture. Even the core values of the company you work for, they may not be right. Or they may be inconsistent. Be skeptical. Evaluate it. And don't let culture or these normatives or principles overrule you living out the golden rule. Number two, don't compartmentalize living out the golden rule when it comes to your work. So first, don't overrule the golden rule with a worldly rule. Secondly, don't compartmentalize it. I think this is a huge, huge, huge problem for us as American Christians. We are chronic compartmentalizationers. Does that even make sense? We compartmentalize like it's going out of style. We, are, we have discipled people to compartmentalize their lives. We do it without even thinking about it. We can sit, people in this culture can sit in a pew and amen and raise their hands and then go out and do the most despicable things. And so can I. That's why we need Christ. Don't compartmentalize. compartmentalize. When you compartmentalize, it's that you set a certain part of your life off and you don't allow other parts to influence it. I heard John MacArthur give this illustration of integrity one time. He talked about, and there have been others that have given this illustration, but if, if you're going to bake a cake, uh, you don't just get a bowl and throw some eggs in there without cracking them and then throw some flour in there and some, some sugar and a little bit of salt and, and your cake mix and you, you put that pan in the oven. Okay, what are you going to get when it comes out? Anybody? Something nasty. It's going to be a mess. You've got to mix it together. And when you mix it together, when all of the components are touching one another, when, when everything is consistent, and you've got integrity there, when you put that cake into the oven and it cooks and it comes out, you've got something tasty, something nice. But compartmentalization, when we compartmentalize 
It destroys our integrity. Realize that your actions at work, whether you live the golden rule out or not, touches everyone in your life. Let me go through a few of the different people. Maybe you haven't thought about this. It affects your bosses. Your work, even if you don't ever see your boss, your work affects your boss's life. Paul said, slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Treat your boss biblically, even if they aren't worthy of it. Treat them biblically. What about your coworkers? Paul said in Romans 12, verse 18, if possible, as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But how many of you have that, co- that co-worker? He's that guy. Man, he's that guy that just gets, or she's that girl. She's the one that gets under your skin. She's always saying that sarcastic thing. She's always making a dig at you. Or maybe she's just the one that's always just causing some kind of issue. And man, you are just, you're so frustrated. And you think about it, you dwell on it all day long. And sometimes people make big trouble for you at work. But you're equal in authority and you can't really do anything about it. Well, listen, Paul says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with them. You can't control what they're doing. You can control your heart and your mind and how you treat them. You can show them the golden rule. How about employees? Paul went on to say after talking about slaves obeying human masters, masters supply your slaves with what is right and fair since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Treat your employees biblically. Show them the golden rule. They're not just some drone out there doing your orders. They're an eternal soul. Your business will be out of business one day. It'll be burned up in the fire. It's not eternal. It's worthless when it comes to eternity. Those people working for you, they're an eternal soul. What really matters to you? How about customers? Nobody likes poor customer service at the fast food places, right? All right? I'm guilty of being one that's complained. There used to be a saying... In America, the customer is always first, right? Okay? That's gone out of the window in a lot of places. The lesson here is let the critiques that are heard about customer service and customer treatment not be said about you. As a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, may people say that your customer service is the best. May people say that you will treat them fairly. Here's a big one that you may not have thought about. What about your church? and the reputation of your church. I've been blessed to hear some really good reports on some of our members' businesses and some of our, our people that work in businesses in town. And, I'll, and, and because I, I, I'm out in the community a lot and, and I, 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 know, I know a good number of people and I'm, I'm getting to know more and more people and, and uh, I'm kind of extroverted by nature in some of those ways and so I like meeting new people. I'll get out there and I'll meet people and I'll find somebody that knows one of you. And I've been blessed to hear some really amazing things. And personally, in in my own life, I've been blessed by some of you. You have worked in order to bless me. This whole church has worked in order to bless me and Adam and Donnie and Nona and Danny and anybody else that works for us. And so we've been blessed by that. And I praise God for that. But also, I've had the unfortunate reality of being really embarrassed 
by the conduct of some people who say they go to church here or do go to church here. And it makes me look foolish. And it makes our church people look foolish who are out there talking about what kind of a good person you are when over here in this compartmentalized business life, you're treating people like the devil. Mm. This thought ought to hold each of us accountable. Let me give you let me let me let me ask you a question. <clears throat> How many of you don't raise your hands? How many of you know a church in town where someone attends or is a member that you would have a hard time going to that church because that person goes there? Can I get an amen? Well, why are you out there doing anti-evangelism yourself? If you treat people in your business wrong, if you treat your customers wrong, if you aren't applying the golden rule to your bosses and your employers and your coworkers and your customers, then why are those people who get upset, why are they going to come to church here? You've killed the opportunity for me to reach out to them or someone else in this church to reach out for them because they're shut off by your poor treatment of them because it's just business that's anti-evangelism friends how dare we how dare we how dare you how dare I agree to be a covenant member of a local church of the Lord Jesus Christ and dishonor its people and its Lord by not caring about how we treat others when we're at work. How dare we be so arrogant? Finally, your family. I've seen this one so much. I've been tempted by it. Many of you think your work is disconnected except for the paycheck. It's funny. It's funny how, and I think maybe men deal with this more. Maybe men deal with this more. So maybe I need to primarily talk to the men. <clears throat> the only thing we take out of that work box, that compartmentalization, that in our minds we take home is the paycheck. And we think because we take that paycheck home that that's the only thing that really matters. That's the thing that deserves to get us respect. Um, that's the thing that we're satisfied with because we're taking that paycheck home, often for good reasons, to support our family, to take care of them, blah, blah, blah. But that's not what it's all about. The amount of hours we work, the way we work, whether we work honorably and for the Lord at work, whether we, work, uh, whether we bring home joy or anger, whether we bring home apathy or excitement, whether we bring home hatred or love, whether we bitter, bring home bitterness or forgiveness, whether we give our family a good reputation at work or not, all of those things and more have a great deal to do with whether you're obeying the golden rule with your family or not through your work. It's not compartmentalized. It's connected. Ask yourself this question. If you were a child now, if you were a child right now, how would you think God would want your parents to treat you, <coughs> excuse me, treat you in relation to their work. Let me ask this again. If you were a child right now, adults, how would you think God would want your parents to treat you in regards to how they work? Apply the golden rule there. And so listen, 
Our work is connected to everybody that we're in connection with. It's just not compartmentalized, friends. You've got to see that. Number three, don't expect reward in this life for living out the golden rule at work. Difficulty is always present. Work will sometimes be war, and some of you have experienced this in some really hard ways, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry it's not easier. It's always a spiritual war because the whole Christian life is a spiritual war. Satan loves to attack us at work or use work to attack us. But the Bible says we're more than overcomers. We have the joy of a future reward to look to. Let me give you two scriptures. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 11 through 13. Paul says, Up to this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed. We are roughly treated. We are homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the world's garbage, like the dirt everyone scrapes off their sandals. And the reason they were like this was because people knew they were Christians. By the way, make sure people at your job know that you're a Christian. It will help hold you accountable as well. Try to live up to the honor of that title. But see how Paul responded to the evil that was done against him. Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Friends, we aren't living for a reward right now. Jesus promised abundant life right now and in eternity. But that's not a guarantee that our work and our job is just going to be easy and carefree. In fact, the opposite might be true. But we apply the golden rule in love to those around us when we work because we're looking to a future reward. Jesus has already promised us an inheritance with Him. Number four, repent of not living out the golden rule. Repent. So you may say, well, what if I've made mistakes, Josh? You're talking about some things that I've done. Hey, listen, you've got a forgiving God? Repent. Repent doesn't just mean confess your sins. It means change. It means make a turn. We have a great story in the Bible about somebody that did that. Turn with me to Luke 19. Turn with me to Luke 19. We're getting close to the end. Hang in there with me. Luke 19. <clears throat> Verse 1, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, which means he was a thief of his own people. He was a sellout. He was not a wee little man. He was an evil little man. He was we. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, 
since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus repented and he made restitution for how he had treated others. What about you? Have you stolen? Give back. Are your relationships with co-workers inappropriate? Repent and fix it. Do you need a new job so that you can disciple your children? Don't worry about the money and where God, uh, where you're going to go. Just trust God and He'll lead you. By the way, um, as a side note, don't use your job. I think this is a temptation for all of us, many of us. Don't use your job as a temptation, as, as an excuse for why you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. I think we do. I think sometimes we're not as busy as we think we are. Sometimes we are busy as, in American, as Americans, but sometimes we, we just say we're busy. And really, we're not busy because we've got our kids signed up in a thousand extracurricular activities. Am I stepping on toes now? I'm sorry, I have to. I love you. You're making excuses. <clears throat> Here's how to know if you're making excuses and if you're on the, on the, the wrong track. If your child can throw a curveball but can't articulate the gospel, something's wrong. If you're supposed to disciple your child and they can't even articulate basic principles, core teachings of the Christian faith that you say you're dedicated and your family is serving the Lord in, if they can't do that, but you're spending hours and practice and, and effort and money to do this or that thing, but they have spiritual issues that need to get right first, don't make an excuse and say you're not doing the spiritual things because of your job. That's an excuse. Number five, <clears throat> make the golden rule your real work, not your job or career. There are those that work in order to get out of debt or to provide for their family, or to achieve success, or to just feel good about themselves, that they're a hard worker and they feel justified. But the Bible says that, says that without love, we have nothing. Without living out the golden rule from a heart of love, the love that Jesus gives us and has poured into us, we have nothing, friends. Here's what Paul said, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The golden rule is about love. So friends, use your job proactively to do the greatest biblical good to others. Which is to love them and make disciples. And do it for God. Do all that you do for the glory of God. Colossians 3.23 Whatever you do, do heartily as for the Lord and not for men. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink, do whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Don't compartmentalize it. Don't come to church and do your church Christianity thing here. Do it at work. Be a disciple at work. Be a light for Christ in your workplace. Maybe that's where God wants to bless you. Maybe that's where He wants to conquer your fears. Maybe that's where He wants to equip you. Don't blame the church that you don't have what it takes to get equipped to share with people. 
Maybe you need to look at your workplace. Am I being obedient to what God has already told me I need to do? Do it for the glory of God. Jesus said this, and with this I come to a close. I have glorified you on earth, as he was praying to the Father. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you sent me here to do. Friends, when it comes to your jobs, whatever your job is currently, it's just an opportunity. It's just an avenue to do the real work that God sent you here to do. He sent you here to be salt of the earth. He sent you here to be the light of the world. He sent you here to make disciples. He sent you here to love as He is loved. He sent you here to reflect His image and His glory and His goodness. So do it. Have you damaged relationships at work? Repent. Have you dishonored God or others with how you've worked? Repent. Are you completely miserable at your job? Repent. You haven't taken God to work with you. Nobody that takes God to work with them, takes Jesus to work with them, is going to be completely miserable. Maybe you need to change jobs. But you don't have to be in despair. You can take God to work with you. All of this sums up, friends, to me saying to you, make God famous where you work and how you work. And do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This fulfills the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And we do pray that you would enable us to do these hard things, these impossible things. To endure suffering and persecution and ridicule at work or injustice. To be able to consciously, every day, all day, think about you as we work and do work for you and do it all for you. Even to love God. The amount of love that you call us to, the level of love you call us to is impossible in our own strength. That's why we call on you today. We call on you today to open our hearts wide to your love. To give us a power that we do not have in ourselves. We are wretched creatures. We are sheep gone astray. But you are our Father. You are our shield and you are our strength. Help us today, God, to glorify you. Because you've come into our lives and you've shown us how we ought to live. Now give us the strength to walk that path. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.